0: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen Ujia-Dean. Today is Thursday, September 16th. Coming up, Missouri highways are lined with signs warning against drinking and driving, but they're not exactly what they seem. The signs are part of a penalty for the state allowing passengers to drink.
1: The safety improvements are saving lives, but then you have to be able to also think about What impact is the policy itself having on causing those behaviors in the first place?
0: We'll hear more about Missouri's outlier approach to road safety. Plus, the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis celebrated America's latest innovations and growing influence in the world.
1: But it's also something that displayed in the most obvious terms imaginable the way that the United States was a space of inequality.
0: We'll hear the truth and lasting legacy of the St. Louis World's Fair. But first, we have a correction to a story we brought you yesterday. Missouri Governor Mike Parsons, appointee to the Kansas City Board of Police Commissioners, did in fact serve one year on the Heartland Foundation Board in 2009. It's still unclear whether Don Kramer served on a second charitable board. Kramer claims to have served on the board for the Northland Shepherd Center, but is not listed on IRS documents dating back to 2006. She also falsely claimed that she had completed a high-level PhD program at a university. now some headlines. University of Kansas and Lawrence police are investigating an alleged sexual assault at a fraternity house after multiple nights of student protests. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service reports. Hundreds of KU students gathered outside the Phi Kappa Psi house in Lawrence to call for the fraternity's removal. Lawrence police said they're aware of an incident and KU Chancellor Doug Gerard said the university is also investigating demonstrators outside the frat house chanted we believe her and held signs reading no means no and your silence is compliance 19 year old KU student Annabelle Bittner says she didn't participate in the protests but agrees with their message um, I think it's good that we're not letting the university kind of like cover it up and let the fraternities get away with it over and over a 2019 survey found that 26 percent of undergraduate women at KU said they had been sexually assaulted in college An Independence police officer shot and killed a person yesterday afternoon after that person shot and wounded another officer. The Missouri State Highway Patrol is now investigating. Highway Patrol Sergeant Andy Bell says police got a tip at 11.30 yesterday morning. Two Independence officers responded and a suspect started shooting at them. One officer was hurt and taken to the hospital. The other officer fatally shot the suspect. Bell says the Highway Patrol is looking into the tip because it asked officers to come directly to that address. The dispatch
1: that took the call, that entered the call, you know, those are going to be some, uh, some ways to look into that to exactly find out what kind of tip was that we just don't have a lot right now.
0: There's no word yet on the condition of the officer at the hospital. For two decades, Missouri has been an outlier among states when it comes to allowing open alcohol containers in vehicles. KCUR's Alex Smith reports the unusual policy has come at a cost that's far beyond the risks on the road.
2: When you drive along I-70, the giant strip of interstate that splits Missouri into north and south, you pass a host of safety measures, rumble strips, barrier cables, and drunken driving warnings, seemingly every few miles. With all these signs, it looks like Missouri has made a big commitment to safety, but it's not quite what it appears. Most of these measures are actually a penalty for Missouri allowing open containers on its roads. Missouri Department of Transportation safety engineer, John Nelson, acknowledges the state's policies create a catch-22.
1: The safety improvements are saving lives, but then you have to be able to also think about What impact is the policy itself having on causing those behaviors in the first place?
2: In the late 90s, the federal government approved the Transportation Equity Act for the 21st century, a law that includes prohibitions on open alcohol containers in moving vehicles. Missouri and other states that haven't followed those federal standards are required to divert a percentage of their roadway construction funds to safety programs. In Missouri, that's added up to $370 million dollars since 2001 data suggests that extra spending might be making Missouri roads safer, more so than the rest of the country. Between 2001 and 2019, traffic fatalities nationally have decreased by 14 percent. But during the same time, traffic fatalities in Missouri decreased by nearly 20 percent, according to data from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. John Nelson says that Missouri's open container policy is actually money well spent. It's an interesting dilemma because it does take money away
1: from um, what I'll call our our everyday road and bridge projects, you know, replacing pavements, replacing bridges, Um, but it does still get spent on the roadway um, through those safety improvements.
2: But advocates say Missouri roads could be even safer if the state took a tougher stance on alcohol in cars. Safety researchers found that enforcement of open container restrictions reduced drunk driving by 17 percent. Tom Greenfield of the Public Health Institute says restricting open containers can prevent a number of problems.
1: The whole idea behind no open containers is to actually reduce distraction, drinking, and very difficult to determine if it's the
2: if it's the driver or the passenger i would think it's not just open container policies either the missouri state highway patrol has not conducted sobriety checkpoints since 2017 after they were defunded by state lawmakers a highway patrol spokesman told kcur that officers are continuing to remove impaired drivers from roadways but polling in 2018 found that 2.2% of Missouri adults said they had driven after drinking too much, higher than the national rate of 1.7%. And in recent years, Missouri has also seen a higher-than-average rate of traffic fatalities involving alcohol. According to Mothers Against Drunk Driving Regional Executive Director Allison Summers, the state could make roads safer by restricting open containers and bringing back sobriety checkpoints.
0: Right now, Missouri is behind in our impaired driving prevention as far as what our offices are able to do out on the roads.
2: Despite decades of positive trends, safety advocates worry that our roadways may once again be getting more dangerous. Although driving dropped significantly around the nation during the early parts of the pandemic, traffic crashes actually increased. That trend is still going. Early estimates show that crashes in the first quarter of 2021 were 10% higher than the same time a year before. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Alex Smith.
0: We'll be right back.
3: Hello, uh, my name is Alejandro Sánchez Alvarado, and I am a member of the community advisory board here at KCUR. And KCUR is an important part of my day. Uh, Rarely can I really sit down and watch TV, uh, so I get my news uh, through my ears. I do enjoy very much the engagement that KCUR has with its communities, the way it brings voices to the air, brings voices uh, to the internet through their podcasts. Uh, This is something that is extremely valuable. It renders the city much more human, much more real, and uh, it makes me feel much more connected to it and therefore a member of its fabric.
0: This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. If you love ice cream cones and hamburgers, then you can thank the St. Louis World's Fair of 1904. But there is a lot about this international event that we remember wrong or don't remember at all. KCUR's Suzanne Hogan reports.
3: When the St. Louis World's Fair kicked off in April of 1904, it started a seven-month multicultural extravaganza. Nearly 20 million people from around the globe flocked to the city's Forest Park. History professor Peter Castor teaches a course all about it at Washington University in St. Louis.
1: This was in an era before television. This was in an era before magazines with color photographs. It's before many of the museums. So one of the reasons so many people would go to a World's Fair was to see the world.
3: Fairgoers could explore exhibits from over 60 countries and 43 states. You could ride the giant Ferris wheel, see a butter sculpture of Teddy Roosevelt, and experience new technologies like the private automobile and x-ray machine. For many attendees, the World's Fair was also the first time they encountered some of America's now classic foods. My name is Pam Carroll. And
2: my book is Beyond the
3: Ice Cream Cone, The Whole Scoop on Food at the 1904 World's Fair. There is a lot of food lore about the fair, and the ice cream cone is probably the most hotly debated. I tell you, St. Louisans weren't real happy when I challenged the question of the ice cream cone. Here's one of the most popular tales. On a particularly hot day, Syrian concessionaire Ernest Hamwi ran out of dishes. In a flash of inspiration, he rolled up a waffle into a cone, plopped his ice cream on top, and bam, became a dessert legend. Vaquero says the truth is more vague. Multiple families have come forward with similar stories, saying their family member should get the credit. But who was the first to do this? It's really questionable. Now, Vaccaro and other historians say the ice cream cone was not invented, but rather popularized at the fair. The same goes for Dr. Pepper, the hamburger and iced tea. These foods were around before the fair, but they took off thanks to the huge numbers of attendees trying them out for the first time. Vaccaro says the fair's biggest impact actually came from the 22-acre Palace of Agriculture. Their food manufacturing companies shared the latest innovations, like puffed cereal, which they shot out of a cannon. The palace also educated fairgoers about large-scale food processing and canning.
2: What has profoundly impacted how we distributed food, how we marketed food, how we produced food, and even how we became aware of the purities or lack of them in our food.
3: Professor Peter Castor says that the World's Fair represented a changing modern world. By 1904, the country was deep in Jim Crow segregation, and the fair took place a few years after the end of the Spanish-American War, when the United States military took control over Cuba, the Philippines and Puerto Rico.
1: The United States had become a global empire.
3: In St. Louis. The United States debuted itself as a growing imperial force, putting on living anthropology exhibits with indigenous peoples from around the world. African-Americans, meanwhile, couldn't get so much as a drink of water from the fairgrounds.
1: It was a moment that was partly designed to celebrate American glory, American democracy, the American economy. But it's also something that displayed in the most obvious terms imaginable, the way that the United States was a space of inequality.
3: Castor says this duality, more than any food inventions or innovations, is the lasting legacy of the 1904 World's Fair. And it's something, he says, we can learn from today.
1: One of the things we often learn when we look at the past is really how complicated and contingent these moments are. And that equality and inequality coexist in the same space.
3: For KCUR 89.3, I'm Suzanne Hogan. That story comes to us from another KCUR
0: podcast, Hungry for Mo. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Support for Hungry for Mo comes from the Missouri Humanities Council. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomeen Ujia-Dean. This podcast was produced by Byron Love and edited by Maria Carter. You can hear and read more stories from Kansas City's NPR station at kcur.org or listen live on the radio at 89.3 FM. Tomorrow, we'll hear the story of two legendary Kansas City barbecue joints. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you soon.